so cool to see so many of them uh, be raised in the student ministry, faithfully following Jesus, faithfully serving week in, week out. Um, and, and it's really cool because I'm in my fourth year of ministry here at Fraser. And whenever I got here in 2018, okay. <laughs> When I got here in 2018, uh, all of them were just little awkward baby freshmen, and right now they're just big awkward seniors. <laughs> but I, I'm so thankful for them. I, I love them all so much, um, and it's going to be so cool to see what God is going to do uh, through each one of them as they go on to this next phase of life, whether it be college, career, whatever path they're walking, we know that God's hand is upon each one of them. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tyler Grant. I'm one of the student ministers here, and it's an absolute honor and privilege to be on the platform this morning. It's not something that I take uh, lightly or for granted. I'm very humbled to be up here that Chris would ask me to share on Senior Sunday. Two weeks ago, Dr. John Ed Matheson preached a sermon from Psalms 23, and I thought I would piggyback off of him today and continue going through Psalm 24, looking right after um, Psalm 23 and what David is writing. So I have a message for our seniors, for our students, but also for the church as a whole. So I'm praying that God will speak through me to each one of you this morning. And this morning I'm calling this message, Climb the mountain, climb the mountain from Psalms 24. You know, I love the mountains, and I would assume you probably too do, do too, but we live in a really bad part of the country for that, which you are well aware of that if you just go outside, but uh, there's just something simply so magnificent about the mountains. They're, they're breathtaking, they're magnificent they're dangerous, and I think my adrenaline junkie side of me loves that danger side of the mountains and what you can do with them, climb them, hike them, just simply see them. But growing up in North Georgia in a little town called Dalton, I was around the mountains a pretty good bit. And I went home this past weekend to see my parents, and I was, I was traveling to my favorite breakfast joint called Burger Den. I was coming over the hill, and I saw over the horizon the mountains. And they're little small mountains in Georgia, but... I forgot how beautiful they were. It was something I took fully for granted whenever we moved down to South Georgia in 2015 and then over here to East Alabama in 2018, and we don't have those mountains like we did in North Georgia. But those mountains are pretty puny compared to the geography of the rest of the United States. Last August, my wife and I went to the Smoky Mountains, and we went to Clingman's Dome, which is one of the highest parts in the Smoky Mountains back in college. I was 13,000 feet up in the Rockies. I, went, I was up 10,000 feet in uh, Utah, and I saw snow in the middle of June. But my favorite mountain story isn't one of those crazy places out west. It actually happened in Tennessee. So I went to a little private Christian university called Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, and my wife, my, my now wife, she, she went to Auburn. And before uh, we were even dating, we were doing this long distance where we were trying to see if we were going to start dating after we met at camp. So I went down, saw her for a football game in Auburn, and then a few weekends later, she came up and saw me in Tennessee. So one of the things that we love to do is we love to go set up a hammock and kind of be out in nature. And when you think of a hammock, you probably think of like a white hammock that's on the beach 
But we use Eno hammocks, and you may be familiar with these. I have a picture up on screen of me and one in college. I had a little bit longer hair then as well, but this was kind of the, the, the scene that I'm painting for you. So we, we drove up to this place called Chihau. It was a state park, and it was overlooking the Okoe River. If you've ever been rafting, you've probably been on the Okoe. So we drove up to the top, and then we went on about a mile hike through these rocks in this, on this cliff face. And we get to our spot, and I have my hammock. Elizabeth has hers, and we begin to set up our hammocks. And I'm setting up my hammock on this tree, and I have my Eno strap over here. And before I know it, I hear her just scream. She's holding on to her Eno strap and goes around that tree like Tarzan and begins to tumble down the mountain. Thankfully, it wasn't the edge of the mountain. She went down about six or seven feet, and there was some brush there. But it's our joke that this was the night that she fell down a mountain. But, you know, we set up our hammocks. It was kind of like this one. And, and we sat there for a while, and we were just looking at the beauty of the mountains around us, looking the river run beneath it. And that night was actually the night that I asked her to be my girlfriend. And as they say, the rest is history. Seven years of marriage, two kids later. But it all started that night while we were just sitting up on the mountains looking at the view, looking at the beauty, just enjoying creation. You know that there's just simply something about the mountains. There's just something about them. And in Psalms 24, King David gives us a glimpse into God's beauty and his character by using the imagery of mountains. So we'll read Psalm 24 together this morning. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from their God, their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the king of glory. So today we're going to be talking about seeking after God's face, seeking after his heart. But in order to seek after God, we have to first know who he is. Because today we have so many different lowercase g gods trying to get our affection, trying to get our worship. Some people may call them idols. King David here calls them false gods. And we all have some. I know for some of us it, it may be the god of sports, the god of technology, entertainment, success, money, power, politics, you insert your false god there. We all have them that are, that are trying to get us to worship them. But this morning, I want to challenge you to, to turn that attention to the one true God, God of Jacob, Jesus. And the first thing we have to do looking at this passage of scripture is to know him. Made it easy for you. Three blanks. First one is, is just simply know him. 
So like I said, we, we have two little kids, our four-month-old, her name is Elsie, and we have a four-year-old, his name is Judah, and I have a picture of Judah and myself this morning, and um, me and him love to play hide-and-seek, but unfortunately, Judah is the worst hide-and-seek player I've ever played hide-and-seek with. He, he goes to the middle of open rooms, he'll kind of hide himself with his body, or if he does have a decent hiding spot, he'll give it away just by laughing and giggling, and, but Judah, I'm coming, and he just can't help himself, and he'll run into the middle um, and give himself away. But I also love whenever I'm hiding and he's seeking me, because he's pretty good at it, and I love to scare him as he gets to me. But in order for him to seek me, he has to know me. He has to know who he's looking for. And fortunately, he's my little boy. I'm his dad, um, and I love him a lot. He knows me well. He knows my voice, so it helps him seek after me. In that same vein, we have to know God if we want to seek after him. And here David gives us some powerful imagery and some powerful verses about the character of God so that we can know him more intimately and more intentionally. You know, we, got, we know that God formed and established the earth and everything in it, not just because of Psalm 24, but Genesis 1 at the very, very beginning of Scripture tells us this. He's the one who, in fact, created it all. He's the one that everything belongs to. When we look around, we see the mountains, we see the oceans, we see nature, we, we see the national parks. I, I love the national parks and the beauty that they all hold. It all belongs to him. You know, no wonder we experience this deep emotional connection to nature when we're out in it, when we're experiencing the grandeur of the mountains, of the parks, of, of the oceans. It's because we're admiring the creation of the creator, everything is the handiwork of our creator. But not just everything, everyone. If you can hear my voice this morning, you are handiwork of the creator. He, he made you, he knows you. The prophet Isaiah says, but now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. God created us. He formed us in our mother's womb, as Scripture tells us. He loves you exactly how you are, exactly how you were made. Sometimes you feel like you may be a mistake, but God loves you right where you are, exactly who you are. Those are some pretty powerful words about who God is and how he knows us so we can know him. But the next step that David kind of gives us after we know God is what Judah does is he seeks. We need to seek after God. You know, today I find it really hard to scroll through social media. A lot of you probably have Facebook or Instagram or some type of social media you're plugged into. And being a student pastor, I kind of keep up with our students on social media, but I am still relatively young, so that's kind of how I connect with my friends. But it's really hard because of the content that is associated with, with Instagram, with Facebook, with, with TikTok, and you see how crass it is, you see how vulgar it is, how much shock value is present on social media, how much people just simply complain. That's why I love the trends that's like, this is the most wholesome video you will see all day, it's, it's a cute baby laughing, it's a 
golden retriever in a bow tie, or there's one I saw this past winter. There's a dad who put a microphone on his little five-year-old girl, and they went snowboarding in the Rockies, and you just hear this really adorable monologue of, of her just shredding the slopes and just saying these really cute things. I, I love the purity. I love these things that are pure. And in a world that is full of vulgarity, there is still such a high price on purity. And I think it's because we were created with pure hearts. And when we see that pureness, purity, we reflect on God and his original creation of us. There's also a high price on purity because Jesus talks about it in the Beatitudes. <laughs> he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The words of, of Psalms 24 are echoing the words of Jesus in the Beatitudes. If we want to be where God is, then a pure heart is an absolute must. And a pure heart is a heart that is singularly focused on God. And David points out that a pure heart doesn't have other false gods, idols, lowercase g gods that it's seeking after. Instead, it's seeking singularly after God. They don't seek after idols. And this morning, you may be asking the question, you may be thinking, how can I have a pure heart? If you would only have seen what this heart has seen, if you've only seen what these hands have done, they're not just dirty, they're absolutely filthy. How can I be in the presence of God when I am so impure, when I am so dirty? David says a pure heart, not a perfect heart. A, a pure heart is still sinful because we're all sinful people. Right, last I checked, we're all humans. We still all have sinful tendencies. So a pure heart still has sinful tendencies. But a pure heart is a transparent heart. It's a vulnerable heart. It's a real heart saying, God, I have messed up. But I want you to make it right. God, purify my heart. God, clean my hands. Do what I can't do. If we want purified hearts, we all have that ability this morning. It just takes surrender to him. A pure heart is a surrendered heart. So know him, seek him. And the last thing I think David's challenging us to do is, is to follow him. There's a passage in Matthew 17 where Peter, James, and John go up onto this really high mountain. Mountain is again. And something miraculous happens. So Matthew 17, it says, There he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Once Jesus was transfigured in front of these guys, their, their life was changed. They would never go back to their old way of life. Their life was now marked by following him fully. Jesus was their king. In the last four verses of Psalms 24 King David references God as the king of glory five separate times in four verses. I think he's trying to get a point across why he's, where he's referencing him as king. You know, once, once we confess to the kingship of a king, our life is no longer our own. We are now under his lordship. We're now under his ruling. It means that we follow the king. And you know, I, I would want to be a soldier in an army of a king who's, who's not sitting in a throne way back commanding his soldiers what to do. Or even fighting, but in the back. I'm so glad I'm part of an army. I, have, I serve a king where he's fighting on the front lines with us. 
not just with us, but beside us, arm in arm. And you know, the beautiful thing about serving Jesus is he's not a defeated king like so many throughout history. He's a king who reigns. He's a king who's victorious, strong and mighty in battle, a king fighting on the front lines. You know, Psalm 24 announces that victory is coming ever before it happens. This is the equivalent of Alabama fans saying we're already 2023 national champions before the season has already kicked off, which some of you have probably already done. But we can be confident that Jesus has already won the battle. No matter what we're walking through, we know that Jesus has won the battle because of what we celebrated a few weeks ago with Easter with him conquering death once and for all. It's easy for us to walk through this life, walk through our battles with our heads down and looking at how big our problem is. That's why David says, lift up your heads. Start seeing what God is doing. Start seeking after him. But as I close out my time today, I really want to go back a few verses. I want to go back to verse 6. And he says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Seniors, students, any other students in the room, you're going to be told that you are the worst generation ever. People see you as these kids who are slovenly dressed, who are unkempt with holes in your jeans, oversized shirts, too tight of shirts, too short of shirts. That you're the TikTok generation, that you're the selfish generation, that you're the selfie generation, that, that your lives will never amount to anything, that you are the problem. You're going to hear that a whole lot, unfortunately. Yesterday, we, we started a really cool conversation here at Fraser. We had our first mental health summit. And we're beginning these conversations about the mental health crisis that we're in. And I got to sit in on the parents and teenagers breakout. And there were only about three or four teenagers who were actually in the room. But there were about 30 others who were either parents or uh, some of our small group leaders were actually there as well. And, you know, teenagers right now are walking through the hardest few years that they'll ever experience as teenagers. Like, like, us as teenagers has nothing compared to what they are walking through right now. The pressures that they face, the temptations that are ever present in their life. It is hard to be a teenager. But sitting in that room yesterday, up in the 7200 hallway, there were 30 adults saying, hey, what, what if instead of saying that they're the problem, what if we saw them as a solution? What if we came alongside of them? We, we actually sat down and we listened to them. We, we heard their stories. Even if we don't like the story, we still listen to them. We, we value them. We don't see them as the worst generation ever. And for those of you who are in the room that are, that are my generation and up, how do you perceive this generation? Do you see them as the worst generation ever? Do you see them as the problem? Have you ever met them? Do you, do you crucify them before you even talk to them? Because we have a couple hundred students who are part of the student ministry. We have 25 seniors, and if you got to know them, their stories are incredible. I, I've walked with so many of them through the highest of highs and some really low lows, but to see the way that they continue to follow Jesus is incredible. 
And I truly believe that God is calling Fraser to be a church that doesn't see our gender, that doesn't see our age, doesn't see our race, doesn't see our socioeconomic background, but sees us united together as one. A church that's coming together, seeking after the face of Jesus. That you as an older generation would come along them side by side, arm in arm. That you wouldn't just step back and, and say, oh, it was harder in my day. Maybe they'll figure it out. What if you said, hey, this is what my life was like. Maybe I can help you. Maybe I can share some wisdom with you, what I've learned along the way. How, how much better would the world be if we did that? We didn't crucify them just for being in that generation, but we saw them for who they are, the image of God, people who are going to, a generation that will seek the face of God. I was talking with one of my best friends a few years ago. He was a student pastor in Seattle for a while, and he said, Tyler, have you ever been to a college football game? And I said, I live in Alabama. Of course I've been to a college football game. <laughs> he said, where does the wave always start? It's in the student section. If you've been to Jordan-Hare, if you've been to Bryant-Denny or any other stadiums, you've seen the power that a student section has. And if there's a wave, if there's a chant, if there's any type of momentum in the stadium, it starts with the students. How awesome is it that, I'm not, I was going to say would it be, but how awesome is it that we do have students who are creating waves, who are creating ripples, who are creating momentum throughout our church? And those seniors who are going on to different places, to Auburn, to Tuscaloosa, to Dallas, to Huntsville, all around, how awesome would it be if they get in churches and they say, hey, we're the generation that seeks after the face of Jesus, but let's start a movement. Let's start a wave. Let's start some momentum. And you know, this morning, I, I believe there are a lot of us in this room who know God. We know God very well. We've been in Sunday school classes longer than I've been alive. <laughs> You've been in countless small groups. You haven't missed a Sunday service in years. You take notes on every single one of Pastor Chris's sermons. And I think we all can get really comfortable. <laughs> we get comfortable just knowing God. And don't get me wrong, knowing God is a very important part of the equation. Knowing him as Savior, knowing him as Lord, acknowledging his beauty. But that's not our whole job, is to just know him. I think for a lot of us, myself included, we're called to ascend the mountain, which means getting out of the hammock, which means getting out of the places that are comfortable, which means more than just knowing God. It means seeking him. It means following him. It means coming alongside those who are younger than you to show them who Jesus is, to show them a way in life, that there is hope for their future. So this morning, I want to leave you with four questions. One, do you know God? Do you know him? And if not, in a few minutes at the end of service, you'll have an opportunity to respond to that. If you know him, are you willing to get up and to ascend the mountain, to climb the mountain and seek him with, with a pure heart and clean hands? 
Are you willing to acknowledge him as king and as Lord and follow him? And then lastly, are you willing to walk arm in arm with this generation? A generation that is seeking after the face of the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these seniors and these students and how they are the church of today and how we are seeing waves and ripples and momentum coming from each one of them. God, I pray that you'd pour out your blessings upon them. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would equip us to come alongside of them. But I also pray that we wouldn't lose sight of your glory. We wouldn't lose sight of your character, of who you are, your beauty. So God, we we give you this time, we give this time to respond to you. Lord, let us climb the mountain. We love you, and it's in your name we pray.